Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting from here in the historic Habern building at 106.5 FM, but also live streaming to the world at forwardradio.org, where you might be listening now. If you're not, if you haven't been to our website, I encourage you to go to forwardradio.org and become a part of our community station. We rely entirely on volunteers to make radio magic, make media that matters together. You can help us do that at Forward Radio org by clicking on participate and we also rely entirely on uh, listener contributions to keep us on the air and it's a steal at only twenty dollars a day for this great community treasure so maybe you could sponsor an entire day's broadcast with that andrew jackson bill in your wallet why is he still on our money that's not what we're talking about today here on sustainability now we're going to talk about utilities and monopoly utility power and rates and how it impacts uh, housing justice uh, i'm really excited to have two guests on the program with me today joining me in the real studio it's nice to have someone back on the air in the real studio kathy hinko is here welcome kathy hi it's great to have you back on this show uh you may recall when before she retired kathy was uh, the director of the metropolitan housing coalition and she's been involved with utility rate and demand size management issues for decades, right? Yes. I mean, this was a part of your professional work and now it's part of your retirement too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's what I get to do now that I'm unrestrained. Unrestrained, <laughs> which we love. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but we also have a friend joining us in the virtual studio from Frankfurt today. Andy McDonald is here. Welcome, Andy. How are you? Hi, Justin and Kathy. Um, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Great. Uh, Andy is the director of Apogee Climate and Energy Transitions, a public service program of the Earth Tools Company. Uh, you can find out more about them at Apogee Climate, A-P-O-G-E-E -E Climate. Org. You want to tell us a little bit before we get started, Andy, about Apogee? Sure. Uh, Apogee is a program. We're based in Frankfort, Kentucky, and uh, we provide technical assistance on clean energy projects. Uh, do, I do a lot of work with solar energy and energy efficiency. Um, we also do a lot of advocacy and public interest work, okay. uh, public education work. We intervene in rate cases. Currently, we're intervening in the IRP, the lg &E and KU are... Um, that's underway, which will be the topic today. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And you work you work statewide then? I do. Wow. Yes. Awesome. And Earth Tools, you want to mention what Earth Tools is? Sure. Uh, Earth Tools is a small business in um, central Kentucky and specializes in small agricultural equipment, walk-behind tractors, and hand tools. And Earth Tools has a very strong commitment to sustainability and so supports the work of Apogee, in the interest of advancing the energy transition and uh, responding to the climate crisis. Great. Full disclosure, I have some great earth tools that I use in my own garden. <laughs> uh, but I love to I love to learn about Apogee today, too, and to talk about this important issue. You know, it, it may be on a lot of people's minds, uh, especially because WFPL at, on public radio, Ryan Van Velzer, recently did uh, some reporting on LGNE's required plan for its future fuel sources. Uh, they re they're required to submit this plan to the Kentucky Public Service Commission. Uh, and it is currently up for public comment right now, right? And that, and you, Andy, already referenced this. It's called the Integrated Resource Plan, the IRP, right? So, does does someone want to kick off and, and start out just get laying the groundwork of what this IRP is and what it says? 
Well, I'll let Andy do that because he he <laughs> he knows the big issues and technical issues. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Andy. Okay. Well, um, an integrated resource plan or IRP, IRP is a tool that um, electric utilities use to do long-range planning, usually over a 10 to 20-year horizon. In this case, lg and and KU, their time frame is 15 years, and it looks at the best way for them to meet their customers' energy needs, considering all of the policy objectives that are in place, which usually include factors such as uh, lowest cost, mm. reliability, but can also factor in other public policy measures, which might be required or requested by, say, the State Public Service Commission. And so this is before the Kentucky Public Service Commission, which is what, it's a three-member commission? These are people appointed by the governor. Do I have that right? Yes. Yes. And I don't know if, if we want to characterize their politics at all, uh, but it seems like the Public Service Commission right now is a little more, I don't know, progressive. I don't know if I want to put a label on it, but open to hearing a public comment about these kinds of issues that we're talking about today, about how this impacts affordability and climate issues, right? Um, so anyway, the public can make comments now to the Public Service Commission about lg e and KU's long-range plan. And in, when you're doing so, you have to reference the case number. So get your pencils sharpened and get ready to write this down. The case number that we're talking about today is 2021-00393. And people can find this case at psc.ky.gov and then submit comments. Does anyone know what the deadline is for the public to submit comments? Oh, the public can submit comments really all, uh, all the way up to and actually on the day of the hearing. And oh. that's not for several months. I have For to... several months now. Okay, good. Yes. So there is time, yes. my friends, for you to take action on this and to learn more because it's, it's not straightforward. It's complicated. It's, if you look this up, it's going to be the case has got a lot of documentation, right? But in a nutshell, if we want to summarize it, I mean, Brian Van Velzer has summarized it <laughs> as lg &E plans to burn coal through what? 20, what did they say? 20, 2066. 2066, my friends. <laughs> so there is some good news in this long range plan. It's not 100% coal. I mean, that's good news, right? But not good enough, I would say, right? Uh, so Andy, do you want to talk a little bit about um, what they've proposed and, and what you would advocate for? Sure. So in their plan, one major section of the plan looks at what they project their customer load is going to be, how right, much demand. energy they'll require. Yeah. And that's all based on modeling that's pretty sophisticated. And then they reviewed the different resource options that they have available to them and propose which resources they think would be best for meeting their customers' needs. Mm. And there's also discussion about programs known as demand-side management, which are customer-oriented programs which help customers reduce their energy use. And those kinds of programs can be very beneficial yeah. to customers. I used, participating. I used to participate as a homeowner in that myself, and then these programs got cut, right? Well, they were cut back a few years ago, and in the IRP, the utilities ironically say, say their ex existing programs have been a tremendous success, and then the programs stop in 2025. Hmm. And they show no additional energy savings from DSM programs after 2025. Wow. 
Meanwhile, on the resource side, they project the retirement of several coal-generating power plants, but by no means all of their coal power plants. And they project the addition of additional natural gas generation plants and a great deal of new solar generation, uh, as well as battery storage. So on the good side, they do foresee some coal plants retiring and they see a great deal of solar coming onto their system, but they also see a great deal of natural, new natural gas coming on the system. Hmm. And um, the, the net effect is presently 96% of their energy supply is coming from fossil fuels. Wow. At the end of the planning period, 2036, they still expect 79% to be coming from fossil fuels. Wow. And that stands in contrast with their parent company, which, which is PPNL. That's a larger multinational corporation. They have a target of being net zero by 2050 hmm. and reducing their carbon emissions 80% by 2040. So how their parent company is going to meet their, their own ambitious emission reductions while LG and EKU are having much more modest reductions. I don't know how they're reconciling that. Yeah, and how are they even justifying that given <laughs> given the costs of even burning fossil fuels today? It's not even cost competitive, especially if you start internalizing some of the costs that have been externalized, the pollution, basically. Uh, Kathy, this kind of a plan just is not really seriously addressing the climate crisis, right? Yes, and, and I have not been, I mean, obviously I care about the environment. I focused on fair and affordable housing, but this environmental justice issue yeah. has made it a fair and affordable housing issue. And I'll say, in this integrated resource plan, they don't even include the expansion of gas because it's gonna go to Bullock County. Right. And destroy part of a forest, if they have their way, mm -hmm. doing that. That's not even in here. And a, a lot of the motivation, but so let me just get to it. A lot of the motivation is this is a privately held company. I bought stock in it. Oh, yeah. And we want everyone, <laughs> you buy one share, it's like $30. You can use one of the platforms to buy it. Is your share going to change LG&E? No. But if we have enough shareholders, we then can put pressure on the governor of who gets appointed to the Public Service Commission and the state legislature, who is constantly passing laws that LG&E wants. So buy a share and take part in getting a hold on our utilities. This is a company that wants to expand because if they get 5% guaranteed, they got guaranteed profits when everybody was losing money. Guaranteed. Mm. And if you can get guaranteed profits over a larger company than a smaller, you see why they're doing this stuff. So taking back control, mm. demand-side management. Demand-side management is paid for by the ratepayers. The ratepayers are us, the consumers. But LG&E has kept a grip on what demand-side management programs they want. It's our money, 
and they decide what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, what they're cutting back on. All of that, they're supposed to listen to us, but we've let them just roll over us and not, for instance, and, and Andy was the one who really revealed this to me, there's no reason in a demand-side management program that we can't test out why we couldn't have rooftop solar mm. be supported through demand-side management. Right. But LG&E doesn't want that. Why? That would be less energy that they would have to produce, uh, except in times when there's an odd demand or a, a catastrophe. Yeah, Sorry, I know I'm going on and no, on. No, this is good. But take control of our utilities. It's our utilities, and they're a monopoly, and they have their interests at heart. Yeah, it, it it's troubling to me because... Much like the privatization of healthcare, right, where you basically make more money if people are more sick, uh, LG&E as a private company makes more money if it generates more power, right? If it generates less power, they're going to lose revenue. And so that is antithetical to the progress we need in this day and age, which is we need less emissions. We need people to be more conservative in their use of energy, or we're never going to get to sustainability, and we're never going to stop all the pollution. Uh, it, it, we can't build our way to a renewable energy future that is at the current level of consumption, I fear, because it's too high. And certainly with this long-range plan over many decades to come, I mean, may, maybe, Andy, you know how much they're predicting increased energy demand in our region. Uh, this seems to be well, going in the wrong direction. It, in fact, their energy forecast projects that their overall customer demand will go down very slightly oh. over the next 15 years. And that is in part because of just increasing efficiency of appliances and home construction, things like that. However, there are a lot of variables. And so they have prediction, they, they, their forecasts are based on certain assumptions. And there are a number of factors that they evaluated, which will increase customer usage, one being electric vehicles. And so increased assumption to power vehicles is overall a positive thing because that means less petroleum used to run those vehicles and less emissions if we're using renewable energy to charge the batteries in these vehicles. And distributed energy storage, which could be exactly. a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if those yes. are, vehicles are good, Todd. Let me just quickly interrupt and, and reintroduce everybody. Uh, we're deep in the weeds already talking about uh, the future of powering our city and our region. Uh, LG&E's long-range plan, it's called the Integrated Resource Plan, which is before the Public Service Commission right now. My guest, you just heard from Andy McDonald, Director of Apogee Climate and Energy Transitions, joining us from Frankfurt today, and you can learn more about them at apogeeclimate.org. We also have in the studio Kathy Hinko, a retired activist uh, for affordable housing. And it, I, Kathy, maybe this is the moment to bring in the connections. Uh, if, if we want affordable housing, we have to have affordable utilities, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, before I retired, uh, or actually maybe after, who knows? <laughs> uh, I did an analysis based on LG&E's uh, own data. Yeah. And it showed that the way they set utility rates was racist, that they had slowly and without anybody really overseeing it, mm -hmm. put the 
cost into the, um, I call it the meter charge, the daily charge. The base rate. Everybody, no matter how much you use, everybody's paying X amount per meter. Right. right? But the least Mm. amount of energy was used in low-income black neighborhoods. The most amount, and this is just electricity, was used in white affluent neighborhoods, the black low-income neighborhoods had the most units per mile, so an efficiency in caring for the lines. And of course, if you only have 10 meters a mile (laughs) in the affluent white neighborhoods. So in fact, by switching to the daily charge, they were overcharging black low-income neighborhoods. And had we let that go unchecked, I know why they did it. Easy peasy. I get a guaranteed guaranteed amount from everybody (laughs) who cares, right? It's not that I can't figure out why they do things. Or, um, and and Andy slightly referred to this, the the advanced metering um, that we're paying for. I don't know anybody in Louisville who doesn't know how many tablets the Jefferson County Public School System had to hand out. So to say to people, oh, everyone's going to know exactly what they're using and make changes because of that, and as Andy alluded to, the biggest change in your usage is because your refrigerator is more efficient, not because you turned off, or the light bulb you use, not because you turned off the lights. So, you know, it just is very frustrating to let them run roughshod over us. And maybe, Andy, you know, is is there anything about rates in this integrated resource plan, or is it just about fuel sources? This plan does not address rates. Okay. It's it's about fuel, what the fuel sources will be, and it discusses their rationale for how they came up with the plan. But I suppose it ties to rates in a Mm -hmm. sense that they're arguing that this is the most economically rational plan, right? And so it'll help keep rates down? Yes. I mean, one of the criteria that they claim is that this is the least cost approach for their customers. And we just concluded a rate case prior to the start of this IRP. I was involved with a group known as the Joint Interveners that intervened in KULG&E's rate case, which resulted in a change to their their rates. the, The conclusion of the IRP will not result in a change in customers' rates necessarily, but it gives a sense of what direction the utility is going. Just saying for electricity, you have two components. You have the daily basic charge and you have the per kilowatt hour charge. And what doesn't go Mm -hmm. in one goes in the other. You also have three categories of users, industrial, business and residential. And they all get charged a different rate. And they get charged a different rate. So being alert and advocating can help keep your rates low. But yes, the IRP, uh, it will affect rates, but it doesn't directly deal with rates. And Andy is is so meticulous in being correct 
I hope people listening are getting the idea that, oh, my God, we're still going to be burning fossil fuel 80 percent of our, uh, you know, what a horror show. Why aren't we doing more solar? Why aren't we doing, you know, alternate power? Why isn't that aggressively in there? Why isn't the prediction on electric cars more sound in its consideration? So underneath his very calm and precise exterior, Andy is actually saying, golly, (laughs) if I come, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Andy. Hair on fire over here. (laughs) No, I mean, it's true. This LG&E seems to be screaming into the face of all the science, all the international accords and saying, yeah. That's great, folks, but this is Kentucky. We're going to keep burning fossil fuels, right? Oh, right. Louisville Gas and Electric, when it comes to the plan that Louisville has to reduce carbon usage, yeah. they basically say, talk to the hands. Talk to Those the hand, of you right? who are old enough to know that expression, <laughs> they're like, Louisville Gas and Electric doesn't care. Yeah, because Metro has passed a resolution saying it wants 100% renewable energy now, right? And our utility is not playing ball with that suggestion, right? Well, what's interesting, you would expect in a long range, in an an IRP for, for Louisville, that they would include discussion of Jefferson County's 100% renewables resolution. You would think, right? And as far as I saw, I didn't see any reference to it in this hundreds of pages of documents. However, it is important to note that in the IRP, they note that the Biden administration has very ambitious goals for reducing carbon emissions and that the world at large is taking this very seriously. So, for example, they don't foresee building uh, certain types of natural gas plants that don't have carbon capture and storage because of these national and global trends. So it indicates that that they are paying attention. They are aware of what's going on in the national and global movement to cut carbon emissions. However, it's not affecting their planning nearly enough. And now is the time when we should be investing in a new way forward, right? Like, the, it's so crazy to me that we're just going to drag our heels here in mm-hmm. Louisville and in Kentucky <laughs> to be the very last ones in the nation burning fossil fuel when we have an abundance of renewable solutions all around us, right? And maybe we should start focusing on what we as citizens who care about sustainability would much rather see in our IRP to help inform this public comment period, right? So let's talk about that. What would you all say should be in the integrated resource plan instead of what LG&E has proposed? Well, I'll let Andy answer that, but I want to say up front, you do not have to write a long and detailed comment. You can just say, the IRP stinks. <laughs> if, <laughs> if that's all you want to say. It smells a lot like methane. And you would send it, you would send it, case number 2021-00393, and you send it to the Public Service Commission, um, P, as in Public Service Commission, PSC dot comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T, at ky.gov. You need to put in your full name and place of residence 
and the more people they hear from, the better. And and like Kathy says, you don't have to read the entire case. You could just say, boy, I think this isn't sufficient. I want to see more investment in renewables. But let's give people some concrete things. Like what would you suggest, Andy, that the, that ought to be in an IRP that was more ethical? Well, I would say a broad commitment to rapidly reducing carbon emissions mm. in line with the Paris Agreement. Mm-hmm. LGs certainly would be justified in making their plan consistent with Metro government's 100% mm. renewables resolution because that is a very clear expression of their customers' desires. Right. Shutting down their fossil fuel generation consistent with those emission reduction goals and replacing them with clean energy and developing distributed energy resources, which includes energy efficiency and demand-side management programs and rooftop solar so that the benefits of this transition get shared to the maximum with their customers. Um, The changes that are underway in the energy system provide enormous opportunities for cost savings and improved efficiency for the individual customers. And the utility is in the perfect position to bring those benefits to their customers. And so we can improve the economic well-being and reduce poverty. That's what that means, reduce poverty among the utilities customers in our communities by really substantially investing in energy efficiency programs and distributed energy programs. And that's what this IRP could be forecasting and could be laying the groundwork for developing And that would reduce the energy burden on lower income communities and lower income families. And it would share the economic benefits uh, much more widely. Hmm. And can I say, when you write your comment, especially if it contains the details that Andy has given you, send it to your state legislators. Hmm. Send it to your council members to say, why are we... The city has intervened as well. Oh, yes, that's right. The city has intervened as well. But send it to people who, they aren't the decision makers, but they have a lot of power over what LG&E does. So, you know, let other people know. If we want, we should ask for a public comment meeting in Louisville, a virtual one, where everyone can talk. There is an opportunity to talk right before the actual case is heard, and no date has been set for that. I see, okay. But I don't see, but that would be at nine in the morning. I don't see why we can't have an evening virtual public comment meeting here in Louisville on something so important to our future. You know, they're not going to update this plan for three years, which will turn into four by the time it's passed. We don't have that time to spare. Yeah. So let me let me understand the public process here. So. If if the Public Service Commission was flooded with negative comments about LGE's plans, could they then reject these plans, make them go back to the drawing board and submit something new that incorporated the, the public comment? Is that how it works, Andy? The plan gets reviewed by the commission. The commission gives comments. I believe they approve the plan in the end or or not. Um, but it's it's not binding in the way the rate case is. I see. Okay. It, it sets a direction for the utility. Yeah. 
But then after the plan is finished, within the 15-year the IRP plan, there's sort of a shorter-term action plan. So if they say we're going to build a natural gas plant or a solar plant in the short term, they're, they're going to start working on that. Yeah. So if the commission gives a thumbs up to that kind of stuff, then those projects specific projects will come before the commission and require the commission's approval mm. in specific. Okay. I'm speaking today with two folks who are advocating for a more sensible long-range plan for LG&E in response to the plan that has been put before the Kentucky Public Service Commission and is now open for public comment. It's called case number 2021-00393, the Integrated Resource Plan, our IRP. You just heard from Andy McDonald. He's director of Apogee Climate and Energy Transitions. And I also have Kathy Hinko here in the studio with me, a longtime advocate, a former director of the Metropolitan housing coalition and kathy you've been an advocate for greater equity not just in housing but in other ways too and andy started hinting at some of the issues that that are in this long-range plan that harm equity but certainly one of those is that the pollution that lg e is responsible for is not equitably impacting our population right oh absolutely if you uh, you know the center for health equity produces a report and you can just look at the maps of where the the poisoning is happening. Yeah. And and honestly, we all breathe the air eventually. Yep, but... and climate change impacts us all. <laughs> but, but yes, there's a definite impact of... Uh, that is uh, disproportionately negative on on low income areas, yeah. um, and we need to do something about that. Yeah, and let me just say, last week LG&E cut off 650 families. I don't know how many kids that is who would be in the dark and in the cold, but we need a bill of rights for consumers. We need to organize about how our demand-side management should be spent, because that is ratepayer money. And we need to let the Public Service Commission and our state legislators and our council members know that we're organizing and that we want more control over the direction of things. I'm so glad you brought up that, that shutting mm -hmm. off of power for 650 families. Now, that is something that under you know, federal regulations during the pandemic was not allowed, right? And is that sunsetted, that rule? Is that what's happened? Oh, that's, yes, that rule is sunsetted. There is still money. I would not want to discourage anybody from seeking assistance in paying their utility bill. There is still money available. So please, please, the Law Heat program is, um, is still operating. And um, there's a program for water bills too, by the way, right? Yes, and the interesting thing is, we own the water company. Yes, that's a the, publicly owned. And so the water company <laughs> is loath to shut people off. Yeah. And so they're treating it very I'm not saying LG&E was totally hard-hearted. They they worked with people, but 650 all in the 
dead of winter? I yeah. mean, yeah. Uh, ugh. <laughs> Heartless, right? <laughs> uh, um, and the water company is doing something else. And these are also health and welfare. I mean, if you have people without heat and light, you'll have fires. Right. You know, right. you'll have those space heater, um, right. you know, dying from breathing the space heater. Carbon monoxide. The carbon monoxide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. These are really dangerous situations yeah. for all of us. So yeah. we need to think about the basic health and safety of our city as well. Yeah. Such a good point. Now, Andy, you were talking a lot about distributed energy resources, and that's kind of a different model for powering our future than the way we've thought about it traditionally. And it kind of goes against the monopoly power of a utility to have power uh, distributed, right? Can we talk a little bit more about what that means so that, that our listeners can more envision what that looks like? What would a distributed energy future look like? Sure. So... Uh, this is already already being unveiled and being developed in many parts of the of the world and this country, and it's uh, and it's infancy here in Kentucky. Yeah. But there are things like rooftop solar and many other energy efficiency measures that can be developed, and things like batteries and electric vehicles. What we're discovering is that the electric grid, you can the, the traditional model is to have centralized power plants that send the power out to the customer and um, the customer is just a recipient. Under a more distributed energy model, many or all customers can become producers as well as consumers of energy and producers of services to the power grid. So for example, it's very costly for the utility when in the summertime, in, in the afternoons, when everyone's consuming energy and the grid is operating at its peak. And that's when they have to turn on their most expensive generators. Well, if some customers have controls on their air conditioners and water heaters so that they turn them off, so the utility doesn't have to turn on its most expensive generators, that's good for the utility and it's good for all their customers. Yeah. So we're moving in the direction of a power grid that enables many customers to participate in providing in producing energy and providing services to one another. And there's been a great deal of research into the, the many values that a distributed grid provides to all of the customers on the grid. And in, in the recent rate case uh, for lg and KU, uh, we, we argued very strongly for the value of these distributed resources. And the utilities have tended to argue against those values but the commission actually pretty strongly sided with our point of view and acknowledged that there are a lot of values that distributed resources provide to the utility and to the customers. And so the utility and the public service commission have tremendous influence over how these distributed resources develop as to whether they are incentivized and encouraged or suppressed. Hmm. And if they're encouraged, I believe that they would provide enormous benefits to to the general customers. And unfortunately, we've seen LGE try and leverage state legislature to try and resist things like net metering, right, and and make it yes. less economically feasible for 
people with rooftop solar to be able to afford that investment because basically you're getting less return on your investment, right? So uh, I think the their 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 main concern is maintaining this monopoly more than anything else, right? Sure. I mean, Louisville had the ETAP program, trying to make solar rooftop solar less of a payoff was basically thumbing their nose at Louisville, which right. is what they do over and over. And the Public Service Commission, I hope, is will change how they do demand-side management. They are using the way that they assess a demand-side management program isn't in the law, hmm. isn't in the regulation. Hmm. It's from a case in 1997, a 25-year-old case. Wow. Like nothing has changed <laughs> in the industry in the last quarter century that that's how they're assessing demand-side management. Yeah. You can just, I mean, uh, sure, half your listeners weren't born by that. I mean, it's absurd that they're using these archaic Yeah. Measurements when we are facing a global disaster. And there are non-energy benefits, too. That, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Like, there's some other states that have been able to monetize some of these non-energy benefits that affect quality of life, right? Yeah, and California calls it something else. I mm. ran an article. Mm. But basically, it's saying it isn't just did I set the cost of the kilowatt hour yeah. I saved. And remember... That cost goes down the more it's in the daily um, meter charge than it is, you know. So it's all like a rigged program. Yeah. But that was what they used. Um, and what they need to do is like, oh, kids will live. Uh, you know, the world won't be destroyed. I'm being very open and vague about this. But you, there are ways to monetize things that aren't exactly about the kilowatt hour, but yeah. about how energy is produced and the health effects and business businesses that are encouraged and other kinds of um, uh, environmental issues. Yeah, there are some states that have a renewable energy portfolio, right, Andy, that is saying that we want to see more renewable energy, so we're going to require utilities <laughs> to pay a premium for that, right? That's correct. And from one perspective, you could say that the city of Louisville now has a renewable energy portfolio. Mm. It's not binding, right. um, but it certainly should be a policy, a, a, a planning consideration for LG&E. I want to note that in the most recent case, um, actually it was really three cases that the Public Service Commission ruled on regarding net metering, they ruled that distributed energy resources like solar provide a value to the utility on the distribution grid and the transmission grid, and that there's a the value of reduced carbon emissions needs to be included in the value of solar energy. And they also told them that in future cases, they want them to try to monetize the jobs benefits. Because if we were to really empower the solar industry to grow in Kentucky, it would create tens of thousands of jobs. Yeah. And that would have an enormous economic impact. And that would have a value to all of LGE and KU's customers. So the Public Service Commission has actually told the utilities that they need to consider these values as they develop their rates. I want to uh, mention something very important before we finish. Yes, please. Which is just on Friday, 
a bill was filed in the legislature, House Bill 341, which would weaken the Public Service Commission's ability to regulate the, the utilities. It would weaken oversight of the utilities and it would reduce public involvement in utility rate cases. Mm. This is a very bad bill. It is very hostile to the public interest. And I would encourage all of your listeners tomorrow morning to call your legislators and tell them that you oppose House Bill 341. Great. And I'll put a note to that, too, in and, and the number you can call in the program notes for this show that will be available on the podcast version you can find at forwardradio.org. So calling into your legislators uh, about HB 341, but also contacting the Public Service Commission and sharing your letter, as, as Kathy mentioned, with your legislators. Those are two great actions you yes. can take this week. And I, and I want to give a shout out to the groups that have successfully intervened in the IRP case. Um, Andy, you're a part of that. Um, Metropolitan Housing Coalition, KFTC. Oh, gosh, Andy, what is it? Kentucky Solar and Mountain. Mm. Two mm. more groups. Mountain and, Association. And represented by Fitz, by Tom Fitzgerald. The amazing Tom Fitzgerald. The amazing yeah. Tom Fitzgerald, yes. Anyone else we should shout out there, Andy? <laughs> the Kentucky Solar Energy Society and, and the Metro Housing Coalition. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. And then just to just to wrap up, Kathy, you mentioned uh, shareholder advocacy, oh, yeah. but you didn't mention that there is a reason to buy shares now, right? But before mid-February. Oh, yes, because if you buy now, you can participate in the shareholder meeting. There you go. They have an annual shareholder yes. meeting and you and, could make some noise. And we have a group of, of like-minded shareholders who are working with groups that have substantial numbers of shares to get in resolutions to at least be introduced. So, yeah, start working at the ground level up. Get involved and, and fight that bill. They're trying to take away our power just when just when we need it the most. They are the power company, but the people have the power here. So take action today. Thank you guys so much for coming on and informing our listeners about this. And me as well. I've learned a bunch. You heard from Kathy Hinko, advocate uh, and former director of the Metropolitan Housing Coalition. Thank you, Kathy, for joining me in the studio. Great to I have you sure. and for bringing this topic to me. And thank you, Andy McDonald from uh, Apogee Climate and Energy Transitions. You can learn more about them at apogeeclimate.org. Andy, thanks for all your good work. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the program. Wonderful. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar with all kinds of ways for you to get engaged in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends.
back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, on your community radio station, Forward Radio, and we are all about community engagement on this station, and I am all about getting you engaged in sustainability locally here in Louisville, so get your calendars out and your pencils sharpened. This is the week for action not just around advocacy related to LG&E, but also other ways you can get engaged in your community this week. Coming up on Tuesday, the 25th, uh, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., it's the Louisville Grows Community Garden Grant Workshop. It's going to be held at the Healthy House, 1641 Portland Avenue. Uh, the Community Garden Grant Workshops for 2022 will be held on two separate sessions, both this Tuesday the 25th at 6 and also Saturday, February 5th at 10 a.m., both at the Healthy House. The workshop will focus on the Community Garden Toolkit, grant application requirements, and other benefits of the grant. Each workshop will be held in person and space is limited. You can register on Eventbrite to reserve your spot. All participants are required to be fully vaccinated and masks are required throughout each session. The Louisville Grows Community Garden Grant, of course, provides funding and in-kind materials for either new, expanding, or revitalizing gardens in our city. A representative from the community garden must attend one of these two workshops in order to submit a grant application this year. For more information and to register for your free ticket, go to tinyurl.com com slash LG for Louisville Grows Garden Workshop 22. Tinyurl.com slash LG Garden Workshop 22. If you have any questions, you can always contact Lisa programs at louisvillegrows.org or give Lisa a call at 502-905-4342. This could be your year to help start a new community garden or revitalize one that's already out in our community or expand one that just needs a little more room and a little bit of money to do it. Louisville Grows is here to help. And if you want to get one of those garden grants, you got to come to one of these two workshops, either Tuesday, January 25th, 6 to 730 or Saturday, February 5th from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Healthy House, 1641 Portland Avenue. Also, speaking of Louisville Grows, they are going to need some help this week going through the Shawnee neighborhood and doing some tree canvassing. That's going door to door and trying to find homeowners who are interested in having a tree planted on their property. Louisville Grows plants trees on private property so that those homeowners, those tree recipients, will take care of the trees and want them there. And they are looking for volunteer help to go door to door. Shifts are this Tuesday through Sunday from 3 to 5.30 p.m. on weekdays or on Saturday and Sunday. It'll be noon to 3 p.m. and the meetup location is the Shawnee Library at 3912 West Broadway. Louisville Gross is seeking these volunteers this week to help canvas the Shawnee neighborhood to identify potential tree recipients. If you want to get to know the Shawnee neighborhood better, this is a great way. Join Louisville Gross as we canvas the Shawnee neighborhood door to door looking for tree recipients. Canvassing is a great way to get to know your community and speak for the trees. Volunteers will be trained and paired with our expert canvassers to 
connect with neighbors in order to find homes for trees this coming spring when they'll also need volunteers to help plant them. More on that later. Proof of vaccination and wearing a mask is required to volunteer to Canvas. You can sign up to volunteer on signupgenius.com. Find the link for that at louisvillegrows.org. Also, coming up this week from Thursday through Saturday, that's January 27th through the 29th, it is this year's annual Conference of the Organic Association of Kentucky, Oak, and their virtual conference this year is a must for farmers, agriculture professionals, home gardeners, and those passionate about building more resilient food systems right here in Kentucky. Conference sessions provide useful tools, techniques, research, and knowledge that you can put to use. The virtual event is backed by popular demand in 2022, so our community can stay safe and enjoy all the sessions from the comfort of your home. The virtual conference offers a three-day event with one-hour sessions running from 11 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., live presentations, Q&A, and opportunities to connect with other participants. The event will include plenary keynotes, technical workshops, and panel discussions with national and regional farmers and researchers. Recordings will be available after the conference for those who register. The schedule coming up this Thursday, the 27th, the keynote will be on decolonization and indigenization a foundation of regenerative agriculture. You also hear farmers, ranchers, and private forest landowners are part of the climate solution. Uh, there will also be sessions on customers, climate, and circular economy based in agriculture, and a panel on farmland, biodiversity, and conservation. Then on Friday the 28th, the keynote is on growing the organic movement, plus sessions on enjoying disease-free, pest-free crops, integrating poultry into vegetable production rotations, a panel on food safety and national organic program regulations, and then on Saturday, January 29th, it wraps up with a keynote on regenerating the diversity of life in soils, hope for farming, ranching, nutrition, environment, health, and climate. Also sessions on exploring the integration of minerals, biology, and energy for plant health and pest resistance. A panel on life as an organic farmer, a decade of observation. And you can learn more and register for all of this at oak, O-A-K-K-Y.org. That's oak-ky.org for the Virtual Oak Conference, Organic Association of Kentucky, this Thursday through Saturday. Don't miss it. It's great. And coming up on Friday the 28th, the University of Louisville invites you to their either in-person, in Extra Library, or virtual EcoReps Lunch and Learn workshops there the last Friday of every month from noon to 1 p.m. And this month, our guests will be from the Kentucky Youth Climate Strike. Join us for our monthly EcoReps workshops. I always feature locals making a difference in sustainability. And if you come in person, there's a free homemade vegetarian lunch. We'll kick off our spring series by highlighting the work of Kentucky Youth Climate Strike. It's a statewide movement of middle school, high school, and college-age students fighting for bold climate action across our state. They are defending our right to a safe, livable future with true liberation for everyone. Through direct actions, climate strikes, advocacy, and community building, they empower each other to take on the corrupt individuals and groups that have created the climate crisis and fail to act on it here in Kentucky. 
this spring. We're continuing our series of EcoReps workshops each month on last Fridays at noon. All are welcome. You can learn more. You don't need to register in advance, but you can find the link to join, and it's in Extra Library Room 254 if you want to come in person at noon on Friday the 28th. You can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Now, coming up this Saturday, the 29th, there's an opportunity to get out and plant some trees with the Metro Division of Community Forestry. In fact, they are having a volunteer tree planting leader training this Saturday, January 29th from 9 a.m. to noon. We'll also be repeating that volunteer tree planting leader training on Saturday, February 26th from 9 a.m. to noon. You can get certified to lead small teams of volunteers at future tree plantings. In this class, you'll learn all about the state of Louisville urban tree canopy, how to plant a tree, and how to lead volunteer groups on these planting days coming up. Register using the My Impact app, and you can find the link at bestparksever.com or contact former guest of this program, recent guest, Sarah Flarsheim-Tyler. You can contact her at sarah, S-A-R-A-H dot F-L-A-R S-H-E-I-M at LouisvilleKY.gov or call or text Sarah at 502-901-8191. And just to put it on your future radar, there are going to be downtown volunteer tree plantings with Metro Parks and the Division of Community Forestry on Sunday, February 6th from 1 to 4, Sunday the 20th of February, Sunday the 6th of March, and Sunday the 20th of March from 1 to 4. And you can also register for those at Best Parks Also on Saturday, another great opportunity to volunteer to support the trees in our community, specifically those trees which produce free food for our community. Now, my friends, if you are the kind of person who cares about hunger and food justice, maybe you donate to our food pantries or you volunteer your time at a soup kitchen or something like that. Well, think about volunteering to help out our community orchards. Our community orchards need our love and they need our help. Nobody else is out there maintaining them. And you can help do that this winter with our Winter Orchard Care Workshops. They are continuing this Saturday the 29th out at the People's Garden, located right there at 44th and Bank Street from 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday the 29th. Forward Radio's community partner, the Urban Agriculture Coalition, is seeking volunteers to help take care of our community orchards. Come learn some simple tricks for taking advantage of the dormancy period to improve the health and productivity of fruit trees. Winter is the perfect time for pruning orchard trees to reduce disease and increase fruit production. These are workshops, so please dress for the weather and be ready to work outdoors. You can learn from local experts on how to do low-maintenance orchard care organically. Tools are provided. The Urban Agriculture Coalition is a working group of the Food in Neighborhoods Community Coalition that supports grassroots efforts to build a just, healthy, and sustainable food system in Louisville. You can learn more about the Urban Ag Coalition at foodinneighborhoods.org grow. More information about the orchard pruning parties and to register to volunteer you can just go to tinyurl.com slash orchard care 21-22 that's the numbers 21-22 hope to see you on saturday at two out at the people's garden or sunday february 6th at 2 p.m they'll be out at lots of food at 1647 portland avenue and on friday february 11th they'll be at the university of louisville from 1 to 3 30 helping out with the orchard there so learn more at tinyurl.com slash orchard care 21-22 and finally i want to let you know that you can join the louisville climate action network's book club 
just in time for spring, the Elcan Book Club will discuss The Climate Conscious Gardener from the Brooklyn Botanical Garden virtually at 7 p.m. on Thursday, March 3rd. It has 112 pages of practical ideas and advice you can use whether you grow fruits and veggies, flowers, and or trees and shrubs. Get reading now and be ready for a fantastic discussion on March 3rd. Just complete the online form at louisvillecan.org to receive a login link and attend the discussion of the book, The Climate Conscious Gardener. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will be back again in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Love.